0: Are you looking for a new job? Are you hiring but struggling to find diverse, talented candidates? Then we have something that can help, our job board. Head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to browse listings or to place your own. This week on the job board, the University of Texas at Austin has an open rank faculty position at the Department of Design in the School of Design and Creative Technologies. Of course, this is in Austin, Texas. And if you're looking for remote work, Bandcamp is hiring a user experience designer. Companies, stop making excuses on your D&I efforts and post your job listings with us. For just $99, your listing will be on our job board for 30 days, and we'll spread the word for you about your job to our diverse audience of listeners. Make sure to head over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs for more information on these listings. Apply today and tell them you heard about the job through Revision Path. Get started with us and expand your job search today. RevisionPath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. And for this, our final interview of 2020, I am talking with the one and only Christy Tillman, designer, investor, futurist, and the founder of the Made in the Future Fellowship. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do.
1: Hey, Maurice. I'm Christy Tillman, and I'm a designer and investor.
0: Now, before we really kind of get into, you know, this interview, I mean, first of all, I have to say, it's great to have you back on the show. It's been, like we talked uh, just earlier, it's been six years since you've been on the show. But I mean, you've had quite a year this year. How have you been feeling lately?
1: Yeah, I have. This year has been the best and worst year of my life at the same time, like simultaneously. I had like some great career things happen to me and made some great new connections, I met some great new people. But then I've also lost friends, I've lost family members. It has, the, the, the duplicity of the year has been tremendous. I've been able to keep saying through it literally be- because of how multifaceted it has been. I've never seen anything like it. And I know we're all kind of having a similar experience, but mine feels like one for one. Like everyone there's a loss, everyone win, there's the loss. But I'm holding up, but thanks for asking.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that, that happened this year, and you can, you know, go into it as much as you'd like to, is you're no longer at Slack.
1: No, it's so funny. I put it on my Facebook and everyone's like, oh my God, i <laughs> never expecting you to leave Slack. No, I, yeah, I'm, I'm no longer at Slack. I spent four years at Slack and made tremendous friendships that will last a lifetime. I learned so much there. I got to grow so much there. I got to do so many different things there I will always be thankful for having the opportunity to be there the timeliness of it was also really great for me you know personally so you know I have nothing but good things to say about my time there so yeah but it's time to grow and do different things you know spending four years at one company is a long time in the tech world so you know I'm ready to do something different and new have been getting a little bit of tastes of different things. And so I'm really glad to be out there kind of working on some of my own side projects and investing and interviewing and all that good stuff.
0: Now let's talk about the investing that part. I'm really kind of curious about when did you sort of get the the bug to start wanting to invest?
1: Yeah. So, you know, like when I first joined Twitter, I didn't know anything about kind of the Silicon Valley technology thing. And kind of the first people I kind of ran into were VCs and they had a bad reputation then, they have a bad rep- reputation now. You know, I, you know, I started reading and following some of the good ones in quotes. And kind of building some relationships with some of the folks in the VC land. And once you kind of get to enjoy an IPO event, you have a little extra cash, and you kind of can do different things than you normally wouldn't. So, you know, I got to start with, like, deciding to support Black women Founded companies and, you know, made my first investment. And it's interesting because it kind of didn't, it kind of came out of nowhere. When people know you've gone through a, a public, like you've worked at a company that's gone through a public event, they actually start to call you. So certain people start calling me and saying, hey, do you want to be on my cap table? And the deal flow starts to kind of come to you indirectly. because people assume that you have X amount of dollars because your company went through IPO. So that kind of is what happened. And then, you know, I started to want to support women and women and black women and women of color and founded companies. And so I've started to invest in those. And then, you know, I I realized I didn't know much after making my first investment. It was completely someone came to me, a founder came to me and was like, we're friends. I really want you on my cap table. I think it's going to be successful. I, I I want to share this experience with you. And I invested in her company. And then I was like, you know what? I have no knowledge at all about investing so I kind of like hold, hold on hold on and then I started to go back and do some due diligence and start to teach myself some things, and then find mentors to help me kind of understand investing and then have been making some of my own investments and then I got accepted into a scout program with NDVC and then through that I was able to get into this program that's funded by the Rockefeller Foundation where um, they gave some of, of us the opportunity to invest I mean, women of color, I think that's what the requirements Yeah, Women of color companies, people of color companies or rural companies, and we got to actually write the checks versus in a, scout, a traditional scout program. You bring companies to the firm that you think are investable. This time through the scout program, got to write checks, and so I sort of started to learn the basics through that process. And, then, and the bug has bitten me because I really like working with founders and the designer is sort of a natural relationship to work with founders and talk to them about their product, market fit, help them look at design opportunities to build upon their experience with their product. And then I'm on the board of the designer fund, which has been great working with Enrique and Ben, getting more information and knowledge there, learning more about angel investing there, and then also bringing deal flow. To the designer fund and also getting to be a part of their deal flow as well. So uh, I've been really working that angle. I have some things that I want to do with that a little bit bigger next year once I'm done with Made in the Future. So you're
0: making like mogul moves with this <laughs> investing.
1: I don't. Let's hope so. You know, it takes there's like a seven to ten year horizon on really seeing if you're going to get a ret- fund a return on that money. So let's see. Let's ask me in seven years. well i mean i think it's important
0: honestly at this stage because like i'm thinking like 10 years ago i remember watching i think this was the the cnn special with angela benton and tiffany bell when they went to silicon valley wayne sutton etc and thinking about how much they had to kind of work to like convince investors for the you know the accelerator fund and things that they were doing so it's so interesting now to see how much the landscape has changed since then and now, like people that may have been looking for trying to get investments are now the investors at this point. So that's really something.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, obviously there's still tremendous friction for women and people of color and black folks to get investing. But yes, I think when we have companies that have public events and you, you increase the black employee that those those companies, then you get more people like me who, who have the opportunity to invest it's kind of one of the narratives of Silicon Valley, right? It's like you, you get some and then you give. And so it's like, how many black employees can we make sure are at the right companies at the right time so that we can continue to build the black investment ecosystem? So, yeah. And, and so getting in black folks in companies very early, as soon as possible is, you know, important to kind of continue to build that ecosystem. Yeah. Now, one thing that
0: I know that you've kind of had for a while, and this is even when you were at Slack is you had your, your own kind of creative research practice called Tomorrow Looks Bright. Talk to me a little bit about
1: that. I love that framing, creative research practice. Oh, uh, I got it from your website.
0: Don't don't <laughs> don't, don't give me too much credit now. <laughs> I'm
1: going to go back to my website. Or maybe Liv, Liv who designed my website, maybe use that in copy. That's really great. I was like, man, that's perfectly framed. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Liv. I appreciate you. So yeah, I've always had it and you know, I still don't know what it is, but I'm gonna I'm gonna figure it out. So my mission for twenty twenty one through twenty twenty two is to figure out what tomorrow looks right is. It's always been a little house where I've like done my home to my side projects, my newsletter, and right now my design fellowship, my investing is gonna fall under too. I have a thesis about how I wanna invest and you know it's always kind of been like the skunks work thing i do want to take some time to figure out what it is because i feel like it's one of those things that will turn into something eventually and i'm trying to figure out what it is i still don't know what it is yet but it makes me happy and it's a great place to just kind of like house all of my projects right now speaking of
0: the the newsletter i get the the newsletter it's called endless sons i look forward to it mm-hmm. every sunday morning how has it been received since you started sending it out again
1: See, yeah, it's actually been quite different. I think that's a really great question because, and I've been trying to figure out. I have not been able to put a ton of time into it because I'm working on Made in the Future right now, but it has been a slow, slower growing than it was at the very beginning. And we've been trying to figure out what the issue is there, but it's pretty much the exact same newsletter that we put out before. I don't know. I think people's taste of refined or... I think media has become more complex. I'm not sure what the issue is, but I'm definitely going to dig into it because we get rave reviews like yours, and I get like great emails, and then but I look at the Mailchimp numbers like, huh, this thing could be growing a little bit faster. So I'm not really sure what the issue is, but I I'm looking at some of the you know more modern newsletters like The Skim and Girls with a Girls Night Out and stuff like that. That is really super themed and really specific. And I wonder if I need to get my niche down a little bit closer to like really, really hone in on those very specific audience versus kind of a generalist audience. I think that's kind of some of the work that we need to do in that space, which would be interesting to me too, because that starts to open up all kinds of opportunities about like making things for that particular audience. What other things can we make for them? which, you know, turn into a company or something like that, which is, I'm trying to figure out what tomorrow's right is going to be. So I was going to say, cause
0: I mean, the, and for those that maybe are not subscribed to the newsletter that are listening, I mean, what it basically is is a weekly digest where you're detailing like, these are the creative works that black women are doing. Here's what black women in the news are doing, you know, this week or what have you. And it's good to kind of get it all together. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of hardcover, from danielle smith that's what it reminds me of
1: I remember hardcover yeah i remember when that was a, i think actually i think she brought it back i feel like i saw something on instagram yeah they cool brought stuff. it back for a
0: i think maybe a couple of months this year and i always love it when i get it because the way that it's well i think it's just the way that it's formatted it reminds me very much of the uh this is back when Vibe Magazine was a was a thing, but they used to have the 20 questions part. The way that it's sort of outlined reminds me of that, where it's like, it's linear in that it's from, it's a list, but that there's so much discovery in each link that, you know, it's not cut. It's not like a straightforward, like say an actual news newsletter. It's almost meant for exploration. And so that's kind of the same thing that I get from Endless suns It's like, I'm always seeing every week, like, oh, what's new? Like, who should I be like keeping an eye out for and stuff like that?
1: Yeah, if any listeners um, sign up for the newsletter, feel free to send me feedback. I would love to hear your hear your thoughts on it as well.
0: Let's talk about Made in the Future. This is the latest project of yours. I've seen some some things that you're doing online, but can you just talk about, like first, where did the idea come from for you to start this?
1: Yeah, Made in the Future has like, been years in the making. So you, as you know, you follow me on Twitter. I used to do office hours. I still do them. I and mean, I've been doing them for years and having talked to office hours, I have talked to underrepresented designers via office hours for years. There's just been these consistent patterns that I've noticed, you know, I, I could like really boil down the conversation I'm going to have. <laughs> it's like, going to be one of five conversations. Like I can't get a job even though I'm super talented. I don't know how to, I don't know how to build my portfolio. I really know no one in the industry. You know, there, there's, there's these common problems. That creeping up with this particular group, and you know, I was like, how can I one extend this past these like one or two conversations that I'm having on the phone, and then also how do I bring in folks in my network to help cover some of these issues, especially around lack of access and lack of network. So, Made in the Future is a fellowship, and we are in the deep of applications right now, but is a fellowship for underrepresented designers. I and mean, what they get is a summit, a three-day summit around a particular curriculum that we're building based on the office hour conversations, and then they get a year-long mentorship contract with one of the mentors that are part of the program and check in with us to help us make sure we're keeping them on track, and the goal is to make sure that folks at the end of the year have some demonstrable career milestone success, whether it's like how do we get your first job or first internship or your portfolio built? Like, there's a really sh- move forward to help that person. And then we have a couple of sponsors like Webflow, Instacart, Facebook, and Netflix. We're helping this with us. And then also we have a big community supporter base as well to help kind of fund the project. And we have a variety of mentors. You can go to Made in the Fellow. Maybe dot com. You can see all of the all of the mentors who are who are from the design community. We tried to also make sure that that group was nice and diverse as well. We want people to see folks that will work with them, and then we want them to also see successful people that look like them. And then the other big piece of that too, Mari is we want mentors who join the program to also get the opportunity to start to build best practices around what does it mean to mentor? What does it mean to ally? What does it mean to sponsor people of color? How how do we go about building that muscle? And how do we build a community around building those best practices for design leadership? Because they, you know, we have to have those kind of like straight up conversations about you folks are obstacles for people of color getting jobs. Here's why, here's what you can do about it. So it's meant to be, a kind of a two-way street in the sense that we're learning that the mentors are learning and that also the fellows are learning.
0: Yeah, I saw some of the the mentors that uh, I think you you listed some of them out on Twitter. Some of them have been guests here on the show, like Lacey Jordan, uh, Kat Veos, uh, also just like other colleagues that I know in the industry, like Cap Watkins, Cassie McDaniel, who I used to work with at Glitch, now she's at Webflow. So, I mean, you've certainly rounded up a great group of people to help kind of provide that mentorship. And I agree with you about the best practices, because like, unless you end up working for maybe a strong design focused company like an IDEO or maybe Dropbox or GitHub or something like that, it's hard to kind of know what the best way is to go about, I guess, furthering your career, you know, because these are are big companies that sort of mean a lot in the industry they have a lot of weight attached to just being an employee there, right? Mm -hmm. And so they will often put forth their own kind of practices to say, this is what we should be doing. Like I know Spotify, for example, does their whole Spotify design and they'll say, these are the practices that you know we have people following. But it's really practices that have come from that company and maybe aren't indicative of the industry as a whole, but just more so the fact that you came from this place. So like if you're a designer that maybe has just worked at, I don't know, a couple of startups and maybe some, you know, not well-known companies, then it's hard to know, like, how should you sort of go about furthering your career in this industry? There's not really a best practice for it because the industry changes so much. It's kind of hard to really know how you should be navigating through all of this.
1: Exactly. And if you're all, yes, 100%. And if you're so far away, a lot of these people are also so far removed and don't have the right kind of access to even ask those questions, then I've been, reading the, I've been reading all of the applications that have come through, and some of them are so strong. It is unbelievable that some of the applications I'm seeing, that the person doesn't have a job already. I'm just looking at me like, what? What? And, you know, we had so many discussions about, I was like, am I going to be able to get 25 to 50 qualified people? Because we're being really kind of sticklers about, the folks need to be what I call in the gap is which where opportunity and readiness are in sync. So they have to have enough craft skill and uh, you know in, in order to meet the professional development component that we're providing. this is not a craft based fellowship. like we're not teaching you how to be a designer per se, like how to move the boxes around the pixels around, right? And so this is a this is a really a professional development program. And a mentor and access program. And so we need folks that can get themselves ready enough via their own practice, but need all the soft stuff that we can help with, right? And so they they need to be in sync. So if people don't have a strong enough portfolio, it's really not gonna work if they need like years and years to get there from a craft perspective. And so I'm looking at these really great, talented people of color who have great portfolios. I'm just like, I can't believe these people aren't employed. And, you know, thinking about, like, COVID and how it's changing the workplace, I think I'm trying to be optimistic that some of the folks, like, in the program can m- take advantage of that because if you're not, like, in San Francisco or New York City, or if you're not, like, in Portland, you know what I mean? And these companies have, like, really, in cities that have really kind of deep design roots, it's really hard to kind of be in the scene. And so if you're like some really talented person that's like out in Kentucky, you're going to have a harder time, right? And so I'm wondering like how if tech companies going more remote, design companies going more remote will help will help this population any because now they'll be looking for talent across the country versus just the one or two cities that they have offices in.
0: Yeah. And I can tell you from the recruiters I've talked to, they have no clue. None. <laughs> like if it's <laughs> if, if it's not someone that's going to be working in an office, it's almost like, you know, syntax error does not compute kind of thing. Like they don't know what to do.
1: Yeah. I mean, we have to give them time to catch up to what COVID is and make those kind of policy decisions at the executive level about working remote. It, those aren't easy decisions for companies to make. And they, they're like, there's so many different layers that they have to consider, like vertically have to start your own company again, it, it replicate itself in each city or each state that you can take employees in, right, for, for tax purposes. So it's a lot of work to kind of say that someone can be in all 50 states and work for, for, for a company because they would do that work in all 50 states. So, you know, we have to give companies time to catch up, but I really hope kind of the coastal discrimination against talented people can relax some due to COVID because there are so many talented people that are all over, like Ohio, Texas, right? are places that just like aren't typically thought of de- as design centers, and those people should be able to get great, be able to do work in great companies, right? Should at least be
0: in, in consideration, you know.
1: Exactly. I totally
0: get that. How did the first Made in the Future event go back in October?
1: So we actually, um, we actually extended it. So actually, the summit is December, is December eighth through tenth when the summit is happening. So it's coming right up on us. And then, so it's, a, it's fast and furious. I'm reading applications now for the first summit, and the applications are so strong. I'm actually blown away by how good some of the apps are. So we'll definitely fill the first fellow class. No doubts about that. And I will definitely write a medium blog, letting you know how it goes. Also, <laughs> on the fly, learning a ton. Like, I've iterated on the programming, like, twice already, and... Bianca who's working with me is like "You gotta lock it down we gotta move on we gotta move on so I'm having to like really fight my tendencies of perfectionism for the sake of execution because um, we're just learning so much about like what to do you know and sometimes I wonder like can I turn this into like a school or something or some sort of digital platform so I've been thinking about like other ways to scale it as well it to a apprentice program I'm not sure it should be something though so I'm going to try to figure that out too. Like what can, what can this turn itself into? But yeah, I'm, I should probably wait until we get through the first one. before. I start <laughs> <messing around. laughs>
0: and by the time this episode comes out, the first one will have kind of already passed. So it's good to know that you're already, as you're doing it, you're thinking like, how can I change it? How can it be better? How can I improve on it? You know, that's always a good thing.
1: Yes. At every step I'm like, this should have been done this way. Yeah. This, should have been this way. Doing events is hard. And then doing events that are like, multi-prong where you have to think about the speaker experience and then the fellow experience. Right. And then the sponsor experience is a lot. My hats off to anyone who does events.
0: And I mean, and you're kind of doing it from a, a totally different sort of angle too, because it's not a, I mean, it's, it is an event, but it's not a, a conference in that, you know, people are going to like attend and there's speakers and there's takeaways. Like this is really like, uh, it sounds a bit like Designer Fund, although I don't know if Designer Fund has that kind of like year-long mentorship part attached to it. But I would imagine like putting together all the processes for all of that. And it's a lot to kind of do all together. But it sounds like you've got a team behind you that's helping out.
1: Yeah, so there will be speakers. So the summit, there will be speakers, but there will also be breakout sessions. There will also be workshops. So it's kind of a mix of different types of programming. over oh, Three days. And yes, we have a small but lean team of four now that are working five sorry that are working on it um around the clock and so yeah it's it's a lean team we're getting it done, but there are a lot of there are a lot of panels and um workshops to do, so it is not a conference that other people can attend, and we probably will not be sharing much out. This is like a real talk, real like real spit type of thing. And I want the mentors and the mentees to really be able to have real conversations. And also we're not sharing the curriculum out either. It's kind of like you 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 apply and trust us that you're going to get something great. But we're, we're really kind of wanting to keep the program, you know, a little bit to ourselves a little bit is our secret sauce. You know what I'm saying?
0: Mm-hmm. Do you know Carl Smith? Does the name sound familiar? Cause... He does Bureau of Digital and it sounds kind of similar to Made in the Future in that it's like, it's these sort of like internal type of events. Like it's not really for like, like you say, you're not sharing anything out. You're not sharing out talks, things like that. I think they mostly group it around like project managers and creative directors and owners. Like it's about like how to really own and run like a digital business or a creative business. Um, And this sounds similar to that, except you're focusing more on how people can basically create these best practices to be good employees, to really kind of be, you know, shepherd their own careers, that sort of thing.
1: Yes. And, you know, we really want to make sure that these folks um, understand there are so many different ways to, to be. There's so many things that you can do with creative skills and design skills. I mean, you can be a typical nine to five tech employee. That's one, that's one mode, but there's like, like you said, you have folks like Lacey who's made their own way. You can open your own shop. We have Hallie from Wayno is one of our mentors, right? He's going to be talking to, and helping us demystify how he built Wayno, right? Like, So it's like there are so many things you can do, but we want folks to make sure that they kind of understand the many opportunities or many modes that they can operate in with their skill set. I think people, people take for granted that... Um, that that information is free and floating, but it really isn't until you frame it for folks and help them understand that there's many ways to success. You can define your own path to success. And, you know, now more than ever, do you not have to, like, do this really kind of lockstep sort of ticket to success. You can really define what you want to do. And there are so many different ways to make money now and monetize things. It's just, like, I really want people of color specifically to understand that there are just multiple ways that they can make money and make success for themselves. And, you know, that's really one of the big takeaways from the summit as well, because we have tracks talking about entrepreneurship, tracks talking about how to get hired, if that's what you want to do. We have tracks on leadership. We're going to talk about mental health. We're going to have real conversations about compensation and equity uh, and what that looks like. You know, we're really digging into the kind of particulars of what it means to like have some sort of successful career as the creative.
0: Yeah. And really kind of helping, you know, demystify a lot of that stuff because I yeah. think, you know, for this, like for this generation, like I can't go to my mom and ask about salary advice. You know, exactly. I love my mom, but like, she doesn't know, <laughs> like how, did, how, to, how would I negotiate that with a tech company or, or something like that. Or when, when uh, I'm signing with a company and they're talking about cap tables and all this stuff and I'm like, wait, what? like being able to know that information or, or get schooled on it in some way is super important because you really don't get taught that you just sort Absolutely. of, you sort of pick it up as you go through your work experience. And if your work experience has never really shown that to you in any sort of way, you can get lost with that.
1: Absolutely. And, and oftentimes too, you know, no one, no one um, really, even in your work experience, you might not get it right. Like I had someone call me the other day and saying, Hey, will you help me negotiate this offer? She's like, this is the first time she ever negotiated. Cause she remembers something I told her. And so she called me up on it. Like, <laughs> You told me that I should negotiate, so going me, make you help me. And I was, you know, I was glad to help her negotiate her offer. I do that all the time. And so it was really good to do that. But you know, without me having said that, she would have just took what whatever they gave her. And so, yeah, we just I really want the folks in the Made to Future Fellowship to just have all the information and all the access to folks. That is like the difference between people who are doing what they want to do and people who aren't besides execution.
0: Yeah. So a lot has happened with you this year. I mean, we talked about Slack earlier. We're talking now about what you're doing with tomorrow looks bright. And then of course, this is all taking place, you know, in the middle of this just crazy pandemic year. What lessons have you learned about yourself?
1: Oh, man, a lot. I've learned so many lessons this year. I am more resilient than I thought I was. And I've always thought I was very resilient, but I, I I know for sure now I'm, like, ironclad tested on that. Let's see. I've really learned to be an advocate for my own self and stand up for myself when I don't feel like things are going the right way. Um, and not being afraid to speak up on it and call people out on it. And I've gotten a chance to do that a couple of times this year successfully, and that has also been um that's also been a huge kind of turning point for me. I see myself a lot differently than I did at the beginning of the year, like I don't want to say I have a chip on my shoulder, but i'm I have gone okay, I'm christy to be very confident in who I am and my skill set and not and having no bones to pick about that. And being able to just say that flat out and not caring who who's offended by it. So I've gone through some particular things this year that just has taught me so many lessons that I will never shrink myself or shrink myself to fit in anyone's box ever again. And that's been a really great turning point for me this year. And then, you know, too, the other thing is, like, people... It One of the things that I've really learned with Major Future is you will be surprised who will support you and you really really surprised who won't support you. When you're trying to do a project that big, and you're asking for help, especially money, you will be really surprised about who gives you money and who won't. And be prepared to, like, not be offended. <laughs> right? And just take the blessings from whoever is willing to give it to you and keep on moving and not spend a lot of time thinking about who, who didn't do what, what you thought they would do. So that's been an interesting lesson about, you know, supporters and where support might come from. And, you know, taking support from people who you you might not have never thought would support you and realizing support doesn't always look like you think it's gonna look like. There are people out there admiring you and who like what you're doing, um, who wanna be a part of your tribe and they're willing to support you and you don't even know that they exist so until they raise their hand. So, you know, it's interesting like who's out there who's willing to support you. So really, like, throw your products out there and see who raises their hand because you might not ever think that X, Y, and Z was, like, looking at you or whatever. Um, That's another big thing, is, like, growing your support base for your products. So, and then the other one is, like, really just, like, I know we say this all the time, and it can come off as cliche, but you truly, truly, truly have to define your own success and what that means for you. And you really cannot be focused on living this path, this job path that, like, your parents put you on or someone else thinks it's successful, you truly should, truly should, like, be what's the way with making you happy as long as it's moving you forward. Like, that's just so important. When things aren't nurturing you, give them up and keep it moving. Don't waste any extra time that you need to on BS. Like, it's, it's just not productive. There's so many things all of us want to get done. I know all of us people have, like, list of projects, dream projects we want to do. Like, why waste time on non-nurturing BS when you could be working on things that, like, you really want to be doing? So those are my kind of, like, big three things that I've learned this year. And I think also COVID helped with those things, too, because, like, losing friends and family, like, you really start to know what's important to you. And, you know, you realize that time really is... Lemonade, you know, there's that Steve Jobs quote about him being motivated by death. That was so creepy because I'd never ever like to talk about death. I hate talking about death and dying. But I truly, 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 truly understand what he means by that now. And I think about it all the time, like with my relationships with people and kind of extending grace to folks like, OK, I had a bad conversation with this person. Is this the last Thanksgiving that I'm going to see them? Like let me rectify this. You know what I mean? So I think COVID has had a lot of lot to do with my changing my perspective as well. And also me really kinda also wanting to focus a lot on my family and spending more time with my family. So that's those have been my big lessons this year.
0: So what does success look like for you now?
1: Oh, that's a great question. (laughs) So success looks like for me a couple of things. I'll be honest that I want to make a lot of money. So I want high paying Endeavors, (laughs) Endeavors, <laughs> because I, you know, I I want to I want to make a lot of money. That's kind of like really my my goal right now for this stage of my life is to continue to just be to build my investments and be able to live the lifestyle that I want to live and treat my family well. I want my family to be able to have ease of life as well. So that's really really important to me right now. So that's one of the triggers of making a lot of money. And then I think right after that going to be figuring out some of these bigger pieces. So really figuring out what maybe the future is, figuring out what tomorrow's right is. There's a couple other projects that I have up my sleeve that can fall under that too that might help clarify that as well. But I'm going to start mapping that out in Trello. I'll probably spend Thanksgiving mapping that stuff out for the next year in Trello. And then the other big thing, Maurice, that I want to say is having a support team. So I, for made in the future, obviously I couldn't pull that off myself. I worked with a friend, Bianca, and then Bianca, who has done many, many spectacular events, was like, "Let me help you." And then you know she kind of brought in the, her team of people that she knows to help. And so that's the only way they have been able to pull off. I will never ever not have someone helping me with my projects. Bianca is so talented, and so she's gonna go probably do her own project after this. I probably can't convince her to keep working on my projects. But I will definitely be finding someone that I I want to work with, and I'll always have one or two people helping me with that project. That's really the only way they get off the ground, especially if I'm you know have another job or something that I'm working. So I'll always have a team of support. So those are kind of the big things that I'm really working on to line up for 2021.
0: One thing that I think you know we've all been kind of trying to do throughout this year is just. I mean, one, find a way to kind of just persist within all of this, but also finding ways to sort of, you know, just get happiness throughout all of this in some small ways. How are you making time for joy for yourself?
1: <laughs> so, you, <laughs> someone really just asked me this yesterday. He's like, what do you do for self care? Joy to me is execution of my projects, it's talking to my friends, my cousins, laughing, and stuff like that. But like, really seeing my projects take off is is joy. I don't have to do anything special. Like I like I don't know, like I'm not going to get facialed every five minutes or whatever. <laughs> whatever it is that girl is supposed to be doing for self-care or buying 50 lipstick or whatever. Like I don't do stuff like that. That's like not me. Seeing my project take off, joy. Seeing someone decide to support my project, joy. When it comes to people talking to my family, talking to my cousins, talking to spending time with my brother, spending time with my nephew. Those are things that bring me joy in terms of people, like being close to my family. Like I said, told you, my family would be a big focus for me next year. You know, I spend a lot of time in the Bay Area and away from my family, and it's just like okay, it's time to come back. No, you know, people aren't getting any younger. Maybe they're being born that I don't even know them anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah, That's yeah. Too distant from my family, so I will really be focusing on my family next year, and that and the thought of that brings me joy. I'm building a home back in Florida and I'm building a house with the idea that my family can come over and enjoy it you know there's enough room for them enough amenities for them there's room for them to stay we'll have a great backyard grilling and swimming and blah 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 so you know I really will really will look forward to spending time with my family in the pandemic (laughs) continue the pandemic next year
0: yeah now I'm curious you know from the work that you did at you know to go back very briefly to the work you did at Slack when you were there you worked your way up to being the head of global experience design there. And throughout this interview, you've kind of talked about how companies are going to have to sort of come to terms with the fact that like, we're now working remotely or we'll be working remotely, you know, extended, you know, going on into 2021. How else do you think like the workplace is going to change? Like what other things do you think might happen?
1: Yeah, there's actually going remote, I think, but you know what? Going remote sounds deceptively simple. But companies are not, well, not companies, humans. Because humans make up companies. Humans are going to have to figure out what it means to go remote and to build on that dynamic. You see people complaining about being all Zoomed out and hating Zoom and, and that such a thing. But I think we're trying to replicate the same office experience over Zoom and not thinking about what it means to truly be a asynchronous company. And so I think... Fixing that is going to be a huge issue for companies, and I think a company like Slack, who makes software that helps people do that, will be a leader in in that area. Uh, and I think that's something other people who who have worked on workplace teams could do. Like me, a couple of people have con- you know con- tap me for consulting to talk to them about like what might that mean. I'm not interested in doing that type of work. But yeah, I think figuring out what remote actually means is going to be a long project, and and companies will have to do a lot to change. It's not just oh you work from home and not in a building anymore. It's like how do we communicate? How do we how, hold meetings with people across time zones? Um, how do we manage people differently? Like what does it mean to promote someone in, across a team that is like across different time zones? Like there's just so many questions about um, how humans will relate when they're not, and what we all think is the best solution, which is in your face in a in a building. So figuring that out is going to take a really long time. That's not an easy thing. and It's not solved by just having Zoom and Slack. Like, that's not the solution. The solution is something else that hasn't been built yet. So whoever builds that and thinks that through, at least gets a good V1, is going to be really rich.
0: It's amazing how Zoom became the tool that people ended up defaulting to. Like
1: I Skype do. is right
0: here. I mean, that's not saying that Skype, you, you know, know is, is
1: not right there. Do you know what I had to do to get on this call? Uh, <laughs> okay. I, I even went to the Windows website and, I, and it was like download for Mac OS and it wouldn't, it kept taking me back to doing a video call through the browser. I had to go to like CNET and download like a three year old version of skype to get on this call
0: oh yikes okay well let me take that back then i i guess what i was thinking of more so was the fact that skype has been out in the market longer but i guess when people think of conference calls and work they think of zoom so
1: yes zoom is having its day and then i think it's just perfectly poised like they were just right there at the time ready to eat this and then i think zoom is such a catchy name it's easy to say Because so they're like blue jeans that's a you know they're a pretty big company too facebook either them and other companies use them but no one says, We want a blue jeans, right? <laughs> it's like the name doesn't work. It's like, oh yeah, let's zoom. Perfect. And Slack has a similar name, a Slack, right? Like, right. those like catchy brand names have like perfectly poised these cloud software to be a part of people's conversation in a way that some other software doesn't. Blue jeans is a good example of that. And I think, you know, and then once you hear Zoom it's like, Oh, okay, well, I should use Zoom. Everyone else is talking about Zoom. You know, it starts to itself really quickly. No one's
0: talking about blue jeans. That's true. Or,
1: or, That's Blue jeans might be blowing up. I don't even know, but I've literally never heard anyone say, "Oh, I'm so done. I'm so tired of blue jeans." Yeah. Probably
0: used maybe about like at least half a dozen different one, like different you know kind of video conferencing. Like there's there's Zoom, there's WebEx, there's GoToMeeting, there's Skype, oh there's you know there's all these different ones, and like especially as I've spoken at different places, I find different. People just using all kinds of different systems like big market or hop in or or just I don't know. There's a lot of apparently there's a lot of competition out there. But Zoom is the one that people are sort of defaulting back to.
1: Yep. I think it's just a catchy brand. And I think a lot of people also are calling other things Zoom sort of like how people call also the Coca-Cola. Yeah. Uh, diapers, Pampers. or any kind of copy of the Xerox yeah
0: (laughs) I was on one conferencing, and I and I hope that this is not a thing that we see in the future but I remember when the pandemic had started there was this kind of talk from from employers about well how do we know if our employees are working we can't tell if they're working we can't you know like spy on them with their cameras or I don't know do key captures or anything like that. But I was in this conference, it was a WebEx conference, and they had something called like audience sentiment. And so I guess what they did was they had this little gauge and it showed you sort of how people, and I don't want to say it's necessarily about paying attention. Like you could be just watching something and not typing on your computer or what have you, but they had a little gauge that was measuring audience sentiment. And like, I think we're in the middle of presenting something and it dropped below 40%. And someone interjected and said, We're noticing that, you know, people are not paying attention to this. We need you all to, to make sure that you're paying attention and asking questions. It was very like big brotherish in a way. Because mm-hmm. in a way, I'm thinking, how would they know if people were or weren't paying attention? Is it just, are they measuring whether someone is idle? Are they looking through the yeah, camera? I don't know how they are able to do that.
1: Too. Yeah, people call Zoom out about that too, because Zoom had a feature. Where it can tell if you're like not looking at the window. That's and, like, yeah, you can that's what <laughs> your manager that you're in the call but you're not looking at the Zoom window. Yeah, you can expect like expect the software to do creepy stuff like that because that's how management works by surveillance, right? If companies just don't have a progressive view of management. And most people are just not progressive managers, they like to micromanage and They have to know, they base productivity on but hours in a seat and hours in an office. And they just can't trust others to do work. And it it will be interesting to see how hiring practices change as well. Like those types of managers, how are they going to hire during this pandemic? Like how do they engage whether they think they can trust an employee to do work? It's also interesting to think about. And it's, you know, it's something we, there's no answers for because we never tackled it before. I think that's definitely something to be afraid of, and oh yeah, and I think Zoom got called out as well for right like your manager can like read your private chats, like the the chat transcript that a can see. Oh
0: holds,
1: wow! Hold all the like so even if you private chat a person in the chat, it can be discovered. See, so, <laughs> don't be like oh this this Zoom is this meeting is so boring. It should have been Don't like do that in your Zoom to your to your colleagues because someone else can see that that you're
0: so now people are just going to text each other. I feel like,
1: I feel like that's going to be the safe back channel. Make sure it's not a corporate phone because then they can read that too.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. (laughs) So since, since we last talked, I mean, your professional profile has, has skyrocketed. Like people know Christy Tillman. They know you as being like a design leader, a thought leader in the industry, given the perspective that you have now, what do you think is sort of, I guess, holding back or preventing more Black designers from becoming leaders of design?
1: The question scares me. And I'll be honest, why? Because it presumes that whatever I've done is replicable or will work for someone else. And we both know that there are structural inequalities that play a large role Yeah. in who gets what and why. So I don't want to give an answer about, about what I do because I don't want people to rush out and say, oh, I'm going to do what she did and or, you know what I mean? So it makes it really difficult to answer that question. So one thing I will say, though, is about Black design leadership. There are so many of us now, and no one's talking about this. You look at Twitter, there's Dantley, there's Steve at Netflix, There um is Armas Duplay at apple apple
0: tim there's, at airbnb
1: yep tim at airbnb there's ian that was at instagram jen is over at nets there are so many black people who are in design leadership positions and no one is talking about like this emergence of like of the black design leader class i actually pitched this story to to a uh, so-called design progressive publication. <laughs> and, and they didn't pick up on it. But there are so many of us now whether it used to just be one or two. And, oh, there's a guy in the Atlantic. I can't think of his name right now, but um, I know he's there. There are a bunch of black people in design leadership roles that no one's talking about. So I think that's worth investigating. So I'd rather, I'd rather answer the question that way. <laughs> okay. Than to talk about like myself specific, specifically. I mean, there are things I've done in terms of, like, just making sure I'm visible, and there are things like, you know, when you do your own projects, on your own side projects, you can invite people in. People you want to get to know, that's a great way to invite folks in. They know you're serious about your work. You get to meet them. You get to add them to your network, right? There There are things that you can do to, like, make opportunity available for yourself, and, and try those things. And I w- I won't say that though, the, the end all and be all, but there are things that you can do and that I do do, but yeah. So that's the answer. Long one answer. <laughs> okay. I mean,
0: I was, I guess I was curious, like, are there certain like traits that you notice that folks should do more of or less of, or, or anything like that? And I guess I'm, I'm thinking of that because like, I'll have people that will approach me about different mentorships and stuff like that. And I always feel like I'm, still learning myself. Like, I don't know if, like, I I guess I've done a lot of speaking this year, particularly over the past few months. And it's felt weird to be called a design leader or seen as such when I'm like, look, I'm just trying to figure this out just like everybody else. And I wonder, like, what is the, like, is there a certain traits that I have or I'm exhibiting? And I think for me, what it boils down to is, and you, you mentioned this, it boils down to visibility, just being able to be, I won't say being able to be visible, but it's amazing, like how many people I will contact for revision path. And the first question they have is, how did you find me? I'm like, well, you have a website, you got a LinkedIn, you got a Twitter, you got an Instagram, like you're out there. And so I don't know if it's maybe just a different type of visibility or, or being seen in certain spaces or something that is kind of preventing that. But I mean, sort of like you said, like when I have my own projects, it is easy to invite people in, it's easy to show people what I'm doing in a way that maybe if i don't know if i was just like an in-house designer somewhere maybe i wouldn't yeah. have that i don't know
1: i think both of us what's similar about both of us is we also are not afraid to put our opinions out in public i've done less of that lately but before i did a lot of public opining i think that helps a lot too it just gathers visibility and starts discussion amongst folks, and, and then it travels but yeah i think also being clear about you kind of like I want to say your values, but like being kind of clear about what you're, what you want to be kind of known for. Like, I think if people, people always seek me out for like, oh, we know you kind of care about social projects, you kind of care about POC in design, POC in investing. Like, people know what to come to me for. Making sure to update the public on that often is important because when people are thinking, oh, I need someone to do this. Oh, oh, yeah, I know the perfect person because blah, blah, blah. So whatever you're kind of like, whatever it is that you want to be doing, people should have that in their minds about you. And the best way to do that is the public opine, whether it's on Twitter or writing blogs or some doing podcasts. So, yeah, I think that has been helpful for both of us.
0: If you could sit down with yourself from like five years ago, like when we spoke, you were... Just about to leave society for grown ups, about to move out to the West Coast to start at Slack. If you could sit down with yourself then, what would you tell her to prepare you for life now?
1: Oh my God. So much has happened in, during that time. The thing I said about support earlier with me in the future definitely applies there. About um, really being like aware of who your support network is and who isn't would be super important. I don't know. This is a hard, really hard question. <laughs> it's really hard to because I felt like what was supposed to happen happened, and I'm really he- I'm really hesitant to say, oh, I wish X, Y, and happened or X, Y, and changed. Because I kind of feel like what happened happened, and it was supposed to happen the way it did. So I don't have a ton of regret around that. So I don't know. But it should have gone exactly like it did. I can't imagine it going any differently. Unless it went, it went better. <laughs> <But I'm
0: drunk>. <laughs> <laughs> as you mentioned that, you know, I noticed that all of your projects have this sort of time-based theme around it. You know, you have tomorrow looks bright, made in the future, endless suns. Where does that optimism come from?
1: Yeah. I'm glad you picked up on that. Cause that's super intentional. Yeah. I just think as time goes on, things will get better for us. And, Things just improve year by year. And so I'm super optimistic about the idea that that this future where things are just much, 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 much better. And we're trying to harvest some of that energy now. But yeah, totally. That's totally um, intentional. I'm glad you picked up on that. I think, what is it? I can't remember her name. She has a um, slogan called Black Girl from the Future, which I really love. Renina, she's a writer on Twitter. Look her up. Black girls are from the future. I love that. I love the idea. And, oh, and did you see that project called "Was It Africa in the Future"? I think where I the, heard about that. Yeah, where the guy was doing the photo shoots of like if different news headlines that had had happened in Africa versus if they happen in the United States or other places. I have to see you the link. It's amazing. But I kind of I love the idea of that. Like, there's this better future for us. And we're sort of like trying to harness that energy for now. Because it really what happens to a group of people twenty years from now really depends on what happens now, right? You're you're actively making the future. The future isn't this a state that is like waiting to be it, it's just not this nascent state where like waiting for you to arrive. The future is really what is really brick by brick of what you now. So if we're like say ten years from now, we have to lay all the bricks from now to 10 years, and that's what the future will be. It's not this thing that's waiting for us to arrive. So I, I'm conscious of that and the idea that, you know, we're trying, we're really making the future as we go. And so, you know, I love the sun. The idea of the sun is energy. So that's kind of like undergirds all of our projects about tomorrow. And then I had a blog to call today, yesterday, tomorrow. Yeah. Really I really have a special relationship with time and I think about time all the time. So, so I'm glad you picked up on that. <laughs>
0: That part you mentioned about the the future that had me thinking about because I think I came to that realization this summer. It was right around the time of like the the well when the protests were really starting in full force in June this year, Mm -hmm. when people were getting out in the streets around George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, and then you had all these brands that were putting up you know black squares on Instagram and stuff like that. And it was right along this time, right around in June, there was a meme that was going around about post the magazine cover for the month and year that you were born from Vanity Fair. And people were, you know, posting up, you know, stuff, I don't know, Julia Roberts, whomever might've been on the cover of Vanity Fair. And then someone was like, oh, well, how come, how come we can't do that with Ebony and Jet? So some people started doing it for Ebony and Jet. And it had me thinking like, how would Ebony and Jet sort of cover this current time right now? Because both magazines are out of print. I mean, This is the 75th anniversary. This year is the 75th anniversary for Ebony. But how would they cover what's going on right now? Because I remember back when they did those covers for Trayvon Martin. That was back in, that was like 2013, I think. They had, I remember there were covers with Dwayne Wade, Boris Kojo, Trayvon Martin's family, and Spike Lee. And they might've had some others, but I remember those four particularly. And so that had me looking at like old archives of ebony and seeing like, how did they cover the civil rights movement? How did they cover the Vietnam war? How did they cover the war on drugs and all this sort of stuff? And it sort of had me thinking sort of what you were saying about, like we're actively creating the future right now. And in a way also shaping the past because once the moment has passed of the things that we've done, it is now history. And so that, that sort of had me look at the work that I do in a different light because I think when we're in the moment and we're doing the work, it can be hard to kind of see how this is shaping, one, our legacy, but also how this can inform other people as well that might look at the work. And so that really came to me this summer, like the stuff that we're doing out here, like it's we're making history, like
1: mm-hmm. in
0: 30, 40 years, they're going to be talking about us. So what, like, what are the, what are the examples that we're putting out there? And what are the, you know, how are we trying to live our lives intentionally? Because, you know, in the future, that's somebody in 2050 is going to be looking back at 2020. Like what happened back then?
1: You Absolutely. know, Absolutely. you know, that, you nailed it. and that relationship with time is super important to me. I think about it all the time. And I use it as a framework for my works, actually, as you, as you mentioned, But yeah, me and you are totally on the same plane with that. And I hope that people will look back in time and see that I've done something worth talking about (laughs) at least one of my projects.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So one question that I've been asking everyone this year, and it's kind of been just a running theme for the year. And I'll ask you this. How are you helping to use your skills to build a more equitable future?
1: I think my fellowship is doing that. I'm literally pouring all of my skills and money and time into that project to ensure that there are more underrepresented designers coming through the pipeline. So if that, is, if that isn't enough of an answer, I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Like it's 2025. What kind of work do you want to be doing?
1: Okay. So there's two ways this can go. <laughs> I start my new job and fall in love with it and never quit. <laughs> And ride the way for 10 years and then do something else. Or I hate it and become an entrepreneur and never get another job again. So those are the two paths that I can see myself on for, say, 2025. Yeah. Yeah, those are the two.
0: Entrepreneurship I, is tricky, yeah. though. It's tricky.
1: I kind of feel it in my bones that I know which one is going to be. I do kind of feel like I know.
0: Well, just to, you know, sort of wrap things up here, Christy, where can our audience find out more about you and your work online?
1: It's a great question. You can look at com. you can meet in madeinthefuturefellowship.com, follow me on Twitter, at Christy T. Those are the best places to find me, especially the Twitter. Sounds good. Well, Christy, you
0: know, as always, it's always great to talk to you. You are kind of ending out the year here on Revision Path. I mean, it's been a both a professional and a personal honor to see how you've grown in your career since we first talked. I mean, you're you are well known in this industry. Your opinion is respected. And that's something that I mean, I saw back from when we talked, you know, five years ago. I think what you're doing with the fellowship is really important. It's really going to help shape the next generation of designers to really come into this industry and really make it something that can stick around. You know, I think so much has changed this year. We've certainly seen how so many systems are very fragile Mm. and like it's a, it's a period now of rebirth. It's a period of rebooting. It's a period of just kind of starting over and making things better. And I think that what you're doing with your work is really helping, you know, to contribute that. So we can all have, a more equitable future. So, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it.
1: It was a pleasure.
0: Big, big thanks to Christy Tillman, and of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Christy and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by RJ Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. So what did you think of this episode? Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram, or even better by leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. I'll even read your review right here on the show. As always, thank you so much for listening. 2020 has been a wild year thank you so much for tuning in every week listen to these great great interviews with these great people we will see you next time